What's up, man? There we go. How's it right, going? Man. No problem. Zoom's been giving me some issues lately. I, I, I apologize. Good to see you, dude. Yeah. How you doing? Ah, uh, man, I'm uh, I'm all right. Yeah. Kind of, uh, not surprising, but, you know, they just kind of bummed. They got another mask mandate here, and here we are back to, I mean, just, I can't imagine what it must feel like as a restaurant owner. <laughs> we, uh, we just, uh, COVID positive, sorry, uh, test on uh, Wednesday. Had to shut down for two days. It's like, feels like it's never ending. And the university just got back in town. So um, that's going to bring a whole bunch of issues. You know, they're going to go back to in person and the kids are going to, you know, all get together. I mean, I guess uh, UNC is something like almost 90% vaccinated, but it doesn't seem like vaccination matters much anymore as far as spread is concerned. So, um, yeah. so the, okay, so it's such a weird thing, because last year, Chapel Hill came back, I don't know, for like a week or something, or I remember, I remember it was a really short period of time, then they sent everybody back home. Right? Is that That's right? right? Okay. So they came back this year, I'm assuming they're not going to do that again. Uh, I'm sure they made this decision before this Delta variant got got right. where it is. But but the the one thing I it seems to be, um, and this is only through cursory research, but it seems I think in like India and another country, this Delta variant kind of blew through pretty fast. So mm, yeah, I'm hopeful that's happened here. But now, so you got um, you had a positive case. You said at one of your places so you have mm-hmm. to for two days is that is the two days something that is required by the the city or the county or is that your decision or how, like how does this all work yeah they've never um i don't think that the county has ever put out i mean i'm sure they've put out guidance but i don't think there's a requirement as far as if you have to shut down if you do shut down for how long i think especially in where we are you know, it's more of a social responsibility kind of thing and, you know, being good neighbors and also kind of, you know, maintaining your reputation as, yeah. and, and, you know, and we want to also be socially responsible, but we also want to maintain a reputation that we care for our customers and, and um, want to do things right. Um, and, you know, I've, there have been horror stories of restaurants that have had, COVID positive cases and tried to hide it or tried to ignore it. And, you know, that's just not the right, right way to go. Um, both business perspective and, you know, just being a member of the community. I don't, I don't, I think you need to be transparent. And, yeah. um, the two days really is basically our, our staff's gotten uh, really in the habit of this. Unfortunately, it's like COVID positive tests, you know, 9 a.m. on a Wednesday, and I would say 70% of our staff had been tested by 1 p.m. or 2 p.m., and um, we got the results next day. So, you know, it takes about two days for everybody to get tested, figure out who's got it, who doesn't, and then um, come back and get everything up and running again and, you know, 
get back to it. So, uh, do you all do the um, the rapid test or the PCR test? Both. Both. Yeah. So we have in-house testing that we use, um, but that's not you know incredibly accurate. It's um, those are so you take two tests, one today, and then you take another one in 24 hours. Um, but there have been problems with them. And then um, when we send people to get testing, um, like we closed, we had a you know a positive case, and we want real testing done. Typically, they take a rapid test and they take a PCR test all at the same time. Did your person who tested positive uh, have, I mean, have symptoms? He's had mild symptoms. He's he's vaccinated. He's um, uh, he had a fever that didn't go over a hundred and he had a cough that was so bad. He it kept him up all night. But other than that, um, it was pretty quick and not too severe. Um, so he, the he improved since he's already improved. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, um, the, the gym where I work out had a, somebody who was unvaccinated went to, uh, went on a trip, I guess, to Florida, came back and then did jujitsu with a class of like 22 people and all of them were COVID positive. What? They, yep. They shut the gym down. 22 uh, people all caught it just by one, like, did he roll with, he couldn't have rolled with everybody. No, but they're, I mean, they're on the mat, they're breathing hard and they're, you know, they're, I mean, there's close contact, you don't have masks because jiu-jitsu is almost impossible to do with masks. And then you um, switch partners, you know, and you're breathing hard. And, um, you know, this and, and it's over 15 minutes. I mean, the guidance, right, is that you have to, if you're within someone more than closer than six feet for longer than 15 minutes, accumulative over a day. So it could be five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes another time. Um, then, then the likelihood of, of spreading the Delta variant is, you know, pretty good. And so, yeah, a lot of people got, they were really pissed off and some people had absolutely no symptoms and some people got very sick. Never, nobody went to the hospital. Um, but some people got, you know, very high fevers, uh, chills, flu-like symptoms, things like that. Uh so this is a so you do jujitsu. Uh, I don't. I I work out at the gym, gym. and it's like next to jujitsu. My kids have been doing it, and um, I catch a, a workout while they do the classes. And I'm gonna start doing the classes soon. I just uh, I was gonna start right when COVID hit, and then it was like I don't know. I don't know that I'm gonna do that right now. Your kids enjoy it. Hmm? Your kids enjoy it. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I have three, and and one hates it, one likes, it, doesn't doesn't necessarily enjoy it, but understands that it's good for them, and one is absolutely loves it and just you know lives for it, and uh, the coach you know really likes him, and so it's just a good fit and 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 different ways you know he's got other kids in the class that are of a similar mindset um and so they roll hard and 
you know, to get after it and they enjoy them. I think, you know, and he's also the youngest, so he's, he's got a lot of pent up aggression to get out. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, it teaches, I, I, I wanted to, um, I thought about getting our kids involved with it. And, and as of, I, I mean, I know it teaches you a lot about yourself. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's great. I'm glad to hear that they're doing that. Uh, hate to hear about that, Jim, my gosh. Um, Man, well, yeah, I mean, this is a really tough timing with that Delta variant being so prevalent. Now you've got, what, 30,000 college-age students getting ready to roll back up on the set. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I mean, I think that, you know, really, if I had a, this can maybe sound terrible, but if you could guarantee that nobody were to get too sick or die, I really think that the way this thing is going to get settled is that everybody gets it once and then everybody's going to be like, you know what, this is now the flu. I mean, if you think back, you know, two years ago, people would get the flu all the time. People would give the flu to the whole office all the time, Yeah. Uh, you know, and you would try and stay home, but there was none of this like close the business, everybody testing, lose all this money, you know, um, None of that. So, I mean, I, I understood that when it first came about, we had zero protection, zero immunity to it. I think they handled it as well as they could have. I, I mean, there's definitely, in hindsight, better ways they could have done it. But um, but now, you know, people have got vaccines, their bodies have been exposed to it somewhat. Um, it's not going to get you as sick. Uh, you know, you're, not, you're probably not going to get hospitalized. So really it just needs to start getting uh, entrenched in people's minds and people in the way of life, I think. And, you know, can you imagine what it would have been like even 20 years ago to uh, have something like this come out when there's no phones, there's no uh, online ordering, you know, I mean, Amazon saves people. I mean, we would get groceries delivered. We could get yeah. anything you want delivered, you know, even rapid COVID tests can get delivered. You have cell phones to communicate. You have 24 hour um, news. Uh, yeah. You know, people can work from home. You've got Zoom. You've got, <laughs> yeah. I mean, back in the day when it was like everybody had a house phone and you had to wait for the New York Times to get delivered to your doorstep or whatever it was, you know, um, it would have been a totally different animal. Oh, totally. Well, you know, yeah, I think that um, it's going to be interesting to see because I think you're right. I mean, it, there's um, clearly this thing, it's going to mutate. It's going to keep changing. Um, the, the, the idea that we can you know, control it and, right. and I mean, it's just it's not going to happen. I think most people kind of feel that way now. I feel like a lot of like but early on, you just didn't know. And so, you know, it was like holy crap, just close everything down. I'm not, I'm not getting a sense that, you know, there's a lot of people that are, that are, I mean, I, I gotta imagine, I mean, you know, re restaurant owners, like, how do you, how do you keep enforcing Like you're being asked to do a lot, you know, you were asked to enforce it. You were asked to close down forever you're, and all this stuff. But now it's like, man, it's going to be hard to just continue to require people to enforce all this stuff. I'm, I'm concerned. Like I have to say, I mean, it concerns me to see what's happening in New York City right now, where you can't go in anywhere. Um, yeah. You haven't been vaccinated. That's 
that yeah. gets concerning. I mean, it's one thing to say you got to wear a mask and whatever, but now this thing where like you you don't get vaccinated, you, you're kind of creating this second class of citizens, and that gets that's yeah. a little crazy. Um, so, well, and also, you know, I think if they could, if there was some kind of proof that if you're vaccinated that you couldn't spread it, then I think that the case for vaccination is much stronger. Um, as yeah. far as sep separating people out. Yeah. But now that it's becoming clear that vaccinated people can get it and vaccinated people can spread it, the, the vaccine is really your personal choice of, you know, you take it to protect yourself yeah. or you don't take it because you don't believe in whatever it is, uh, vaccines. And so, you know, it doesn't seem like it's taking it or not taking it is impacting someone else you know i think that's really where the the to me that's the litmus test of when you start to um build rules you know is when if your behavior affects me then yeah. we need to kind of have a, a social agreement that's enforced that you your behavior can't negatively impact me but i don't think that we're in that situation with the vaccine anymore and so yeah. You know, there are people that are going around requiring vaccines and it's a really fine line. And sometimes I, I do think it's kind of virtue signaling. It's like, does this really make sense from a science standpoint, from a logic standpoint, or is this just you, you know, trying to show that you're, you know, setting yourself apart from the crowd and saying, look at me, I'm, we're, we're setting this higher restriction um so yeah we, we've struggled with that with that one i mean we, we struggle with the fact that when you're in a restaurant you've got people that are in every um <laughs> tier of comfort right from people that are wearing uh you know hazmat suits basically and they're you know juggling sanit sanitizer bottles and rubbing it all over their body constantly and they only will sit outside. They won't even come inside. They don't want to touch anything. They bring their own stuff all the way to the people that want to come in and sit at the bar. They want to be in a big group. You know, they're inside. They don't care. Yeah. Uh, and so, and everyone in between. And so it's really hard to be kind of, um, you, you, you can't be, you know, everything to all people in that situation. I mean, we try and we try and have the bar and we try and have the spaced indoor and then we have outdoor. Um, but it, it's been tricky and it's been tricky because, you know, last winter we were all in full lockdown and everything was, it was pretty simple. I mean, nobody was coming into the restaurant. We were doing almost all to go. If people did come out to eat, they only sat outside even though it was freezing cold, they'd wear coats, we'd have heaters. Um, and then when the vaccine started to roll out, people got real comfortable real quick and we weren't ready for it. And even the governor, you know, um, when he uh, went to, I guess, 100% occupancy, you know, kind of in one day without even prepping anybody, I don't know anybody that knew that was coming. And then all of a sudden we had a line out our door and we only had, you know, five, six staff. So uh, we had overnight, we had more business than we could handle. And so um, 
you know, we scrambled and did all that kind of, and, and tried to hire and get more people. And then, uh, and then it started to become clear that there was breakthroughs and things like that. And so now our, we, we went from a hundred percent to go to a hundred percent in-house to now we're about 50, 50 in-house, uh, to go. And that's actually the worst case scenario for us, for our business model is half to go half in-house. It's just so hard to deal with because you've got reservations, you've got walk-ins, and then you've got your to-go orders and your to-go orders are totally random. You don't get any warning. And then all of a sudden it's like this table, you know, when, when a table walks into the restaurant, you know, okay, there's four people, they sit down, they take a little while, they're going to order their drinks and now they're going to get their food. You get a to-go order. It's like that four top just walked in and said, where's my food? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then there's the packaging aspect. And I, I can't imagine the environmental impact of, of the last year with all the, the to-go packaging. Uh, it's been horrible. And, and, and also the, the added expense. It's significant expense to the restaurants, um, packaging everything to-go. So we've really been uh, working hard on that, trying to figure out a solution um, to, 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 to go packaging because it's it's just killers. I think, a, lot of plast, um, a lot of styrofoam, yeah, in the last year, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, Drew, um, what about staffing? Um, how's that going? Because I keep hearing that it's really, really hard to find people right now. Is that true where you are? Or? When you hear that, is it all around? Is it kitchen? Is it front of house? Is it? I feel like the uh, most of the time when I when I ask that question, it, it's more back of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I'm But yeah. Um, well, so uh, we just ran a higher labor cost during the whole shutdown, and we kept our entire kitchen staff. So I I didn't feel like I could let those guys go. I mean they they're like family to us. They have families themselves. Um, they are already, you know, a vulnerable community. So it's, um, you know, we just kept them on and, and we're actually, you know, it's kind of lucky we did because we don't have any issues in the kitchen. We have, we're fully staffed. Everybody that, that works for us now has worked for us for, I don't think we have anybody newer than uh, besides a couple of dishwashers, anybody newer than three years. And some of them have been with us for nine. So, um, wow. That's, that's the good side. The the bad side is the, the front of house for us is the, is the hard part. Um, you know, we hear a lot of this, like, um, if restaurants would only pay, they wouldn't have a problem with staffing. Um, which is so disconnected from reality, uh, I think, because especially in the front of house, because what you're seeing right now is a lot of inflation, right? You're seeing tons of pressure on the back end for the restaurants. And so they're having to kind of adjust their pricing up. Um, And so you've got a commission-based staff in the front. And as prices go up, they're wages go up because it's a percentage of the overall of the overall bill. Um, 
you know, our, our front of house staff makes on average between 28 and $30 an hour. So to say that they're not being compensated enough is just ridiculous. And uh, they tend to only work four to five hours a shift. So, and, and a lot of them also don't work full time. So it's like, if you, if you need more money, then you should work a full, you should work full time. If you worked full time and you made $30 an hour, you're making pretty good money. Now, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I understand there's a lot of people that are in school, so it's a part-time job, but it's a great part-time job, super flexible. Uh, you know, you work four or five hours, you, you're, um, you make good money and you go home. So, uh, but we have seen, you know, there's a big exodus in, in, and especially in the people that have experience in the front of house, we, we still have people that are applying, um, but they have no, you know, most of the people were, sorry, have no um, previous experience. So there's a huge uh, exodus of knowledge from the business. And I sure. think a lot of, I think a lot of those people went to technology. I think, um, you know, like there's places like Toast, POS System, uh, DoorDash, um, all those places really, they, as they expanded because, you know, to-go food was expanding and they were, uh, they, they hired a lot of people. And I think a lot of, they were looking for people that had restaurant experience so that they understood food, they understood the, the mechanics of the business and how it all works. And so they want, they hired them and um, they got more of the nine to five work schedule that they wanted. Um, do do uh, you have people that left that went to, that are now working with some of those companies? A few. Yeah. Um, a few uh, were doing like um, Uber Eats, uh, Amazon, uh, Amazon packing, um, other grocery store, uh, grocery packing stuff. Um, I had one that went to a, a mortgage, like Rocket Mortgage or yeah. uh, Quick End Mortgage, something like that, packaging, helping to package mortgages. Um, a lot of people went to grad school. I mean, the if you look at the admission rate now for grad school, because that's really our kind of sweet spot for labor was the people that had graduated from college. So they, they could work full time and they were going to go to grad school, but they just wanted that year or two to kind of live life. And, you know, they had their college degree, they could kind of uh, take a breath. And so they would, they could work full time. They, uh, they had knowledge and experience and they were kind of worldly and um, they, you know, and, and then sometimes, you know, the, the, the timing comes up, it's time to apply for grad school and they kind of say, well, I'm just going to put it off till next year. So maybe you get them for two or three years. Mm -hmm. um, but when COVID hit, you know, everybody just had nothing but time on their hands and thinking about their next steps. And so I think a lot of them got their applications together and uh, went off to, because the, the, the admission rate in, in grad school is, or the, the, the role, roll call, I guess, is 
are enormous in the last two years. So I'm not hearing that people are just kind of taking advantage of. There's some of that. I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the overall issue. I don't think if you could solve that, it would solve everything. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a, there's a, that's a component of it. I mean, I think, you know, that's maybe 25, 30% of it. I think there's a percentage of it of people that have left the, left the business. I think there's a component of it of, you know, people, uh, we, we lost a cycle. So yeah. the cycle of, uh, people coming out of college and spending a couple of years before grad school, um, that didn't happen this year. And so it's going to take a couple more cycles to get back into that kind of um, rhythm, I think. And so that's, you know, and that's not 100% of it either. There, you know, there's also been just a seismic shift in the, in the labor market. Um, and I don't think anybody really knows all the details of it. I don't think there's a there's an economist out there that can accurately put put their finger on every part of how it's changed. I agree. Well, it's been interesting. Yeah, I, I would think that a lot of those. I mean, that it's all, it feels a little bit like a maybe a pendulum because if everybody left and went to these technology jobs because restaurants were doing all takeout, like you said, you were a hundred percent takeout for a while. There needs to be you know, good online ordering systems and, and people that are, that are, you know, takeout and delivery. I mean, all those delivery services, I mean, we ordered a bunch of delivery for a long time there. We're not really doing that now. So I would imagine right. some of those jobs might, might come back and, and yeah, I, people will hopefully realize that. I mean, it's a great career opportunity for so many reasons. Um, if you got a good head on your shoulders, you can communicate, well, it's such a great, I've always felt like this. I wrote a blog post of this years ago about how, how I feel like it's like the, the job that will teach you, train you for almost any sort of professional white collar job, really, because if you can work in a restaurant and deal with the public and operate under this like really fast pace for short yeah. bursts and learn how to sell and learn how to make people feel comfortable and happy and welcome and deal with like the different personalities that you come into play. I mean, a restaurant doesn't have like, you know, you, you, there, there's no discrimination for gender, race, economic, you know, uh, ethnicity, educational background. It's like, man, we are all from like all walks of life. We got to figure out how to do this stuff together, yeah. like as a group. That's like, man, if you go through that, it just prepares you for so many things. I mean, I, you know, yeah. so anyway, and now if, if you're making 30 bucks an hour, dude, I mean, that's a, I, I, that's a pretty darn good opportunity given you know, the benefit. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting too, though, is that in this country, it's almost like hospitality and service is not a profession because you know yeah i think it does prepare you for all these other jobs but it also could just be your job for a long time you know and i think totally. there is a there's a a disconnect somehow in especially with with parents that don't they always are saying to their kids you know 
this is this is fine for now, but what are you really going to do in life? What are you going to what's going to be your real job? I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, customers say that to my wait staff. What do you what do you want to do when you grow up? They'll say. And it's yeah. like this is a 30 year old that loves to, uh, you know, like you said, be in a team setting, work under pressure, problem solve, communicate, work together as a group. Um get the job done. And at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to make everybody have a great time and, and feel taken care of and feel uh, loved and, and served. And, you know, I don't, I just don't get how, why in Europe it's a profession. And it's, you know, when I lived in, when I, when I cooked in Italy, we would go, when we would go away from the restaurant and we would go do banquets, in other parts of the country after we were done cooking they would bring the whole brigade of cooks out and all of the servers and they would walk through the dining room and we would get a standing applause from yeah. all of the people that just ate the food can you imagine that ever happening in america I mean, it just Not for a it, no, no. The the American Not attitude is make sure they stay behind that door because I don't want to see them. You know, yeah. it's like these are my servants, and it's a it's it's a sad commentary because you know it's a beautiful profession, and and really the the people that that really are in it and love it and and do it for the right reasons are. Uh, really providing an unbelievable service to the community by giving a, a space to celebrate your um, birthdays, anniversaries, graduations to, you know, the harder things of, you know, putting on wakes and, and dealing with, um, with families that are grieving. I mean, we've had families who uh, have come to the restaurant for years and then one of the family members gets sick and dies. But they still come to the restaurant and are, you know, it's it's like an it's like a, a part, it's like that person's still with them some in some ways. And, you know, it's part of their routine, it's built into their their daily fabric of community. And, you know, we would be a, a much poorer uh society without it. Um and 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 I'm telling you, it's it's a, it's really, really worries me that it's going away because uh you know when i i just flew through new york to go get my kids up at, at summer camp and you go to the restaurants in LaGuardia, and every seat has an ipad in front of it there's not a server to be had there's not a bartender to be seen and your interaction is with this computer you put in your food you swipe your card and you know somebody brings you the food out but no one talks to you no one interacts with you if there's something wrong with your food, no one comes to check and make sure that it's okay. It's a, it's purely transactional. All transactional. Yeah. Well, I think that um, these things have a tendency to, you know, momentum shifts in one direction, but then there's a realization that, you know, what we're, what we're missing. Yeah. Um, and it maybe there's a barbell where there's, you know, there's the need for that on one end, but then I just, I mean, as long as, <laughs> I mean, you know, as long as we're still humans, validation and tribalism and community and togetherness and connection and all this stuff are such a, 
I mean, they are a critical part of our makeup and we need it. And um, you're not, so just, you know, I feel like there's going to be more and more realization as maybe that goes away of how badly we need that. So the folks that are able to endure through this will, will, uh, will come out on a, on a really positive note with that, Drew. Cause, cause man, it's just like, I, you, you can't name a great town or city or uh, community where you go, well, why is it great? Well, yeah. what's one of the first things you say is, man, they got all these cool restaurants and it's like art, music, culture, restaurants, like, and it ain't, it's never like, well, they've got this awesome technology everywhere where, you know, <laughs> nobody, that's not, you know, that's true. Um, it's, it really is. Um, I had this interesting situation come up. Uh, we took this two week RV trip out to Colorado. Yeah. Uh, since you and I had last, like, and my, my wife and I have three kids, my wife and kids, they made it out to Boulder. Just, you know, we got out there we were there for a few days. Ironically, this whole thing started because of hospitality, because Dave Query, who owns Big Red F restaurants out there, mm -hmm. who I've become friends with and calls me up two months ago. He's like, hey, Dana and I are going to be in Michigan for like a month in August. Why don't you bring your family out and stay in my home in Boulder? Right. Like, hey, Dave, we can't do it. You know, we ended up doing it. He, taught, he calls my wife, talks her in, you know, like... <laughs> He's like, you got to use our home, man. You, you know, it's like, I want you to do that. So he offers his home. That's hospitality. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And we go out there now the getting there and the RV and the, you know, the, the long trip and all that was my 1200 miles. My wife and kids were like, man, we're, yeah. You know, we can fly home and, and get this. <laughs> I was like, no, you yeah. can fly. You, you drive, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I'll drive this thing. So, yeah. but I'm like, loving it because i've got to, i get to go to these cool like i go down to santa fe and i you know and like in oxford mississippi and these cool towns where i've got awesome customers i've spoken to never met and i get to meet them and hang out the hospitality and the service is great then last day i had forgotten that uh i had totally forgotten that i had told hank who had been covering the phones for me all this time that you know, send the phones back. And by the way, I'll get, to eat, you know, I was going to do the emails too. And, uh, I wake up that last day and I've got this last leg of, of trip up I-85 from Atlanta. And I'm like, crap, I'm not going to, I'm not going to renege on Hank. I'm not going to do our emails. I don't even have an iPhone. I mean, I got a flip phone, like, but I have an iPad. What do I do? I stop at McDonald's every 30 minutes there's a mcdonald's and they got free wi-fi and like yeah when you order food i would just use their wi-fi so that it was like you know that worked out well that like that technology was really helpful but it surely isn't anything i'm seeking like by any stretch what am i seeking right. you know i'm seeking like warmth and all the stuff that y'all provide now i'm cognizant of it because i've i've gone so deep and really appreciating and admiring what you and your peers around the country do for a dozen years now. So I'm really aware of it. And I think a lot of people are maybe like not as consciously aware of it until they start to lose it. But right. I can, I can't tell you how many friends of mine that never really thought about it that much are so, uh, so much more dialed into this conversation now of like, man, like I really, really realize how much I enjoy 
the opportunity to be at a place where I'm served and where I can meet friends and, you know, where people care about me and where hospitality is like this thing now that maybe it has more of a renaissance is my long winded point. I hope so. I I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I, I I mean, I've got a lot invested in it, so I hope it, it, it stays and and comes back and flourishes. Uh, You know, one of the, the, Big concerns, though, is not necessarily from the customer standpoint either. I mean, you know, there there there, there are things there, but from the from the employee employee status of front of house workers, when our country has been so divided, and everybody's been put into all these different categories, and then they're taught of whether or not they are, are that's a good category or a bad category. And so as customers come in, you start, and this, this might be regional too. I mean, I, I could definitely see it being regional, but you get these, these kids who basically without ever having talked to or gotten to know anything about a customer, take one look at them and they instantly assign all of these societal griefs and arguments onto them. And there's nothing that that table can do to then kind of win them over. And it's, it's remarkable and sad. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a struggle because they're not looking at them as just human beings that want to be, that want to have a great time. And, you know, the, the hospitality part of the business is something that's very difficult to, um, foster in an age when people are trying to be so spiteful and, and so angry that, you know, I don't have enough or, you know, other people have what I should have kind of stuff. Mm, yeah. It's, it's a tricky part. You know, I haven't had that conversation yet, Drew. I'm glad you brought that up. So you've got staff that are that, that split second decision on that customer. So they're going to, that customer is not going to get great hospitality then. And no, they, absolutely not. Yeah. That's a, that's one more challenge in the list of like a thousand challenges as a restaurant owner. You have to figure out how to overcome, overcome, yeah. train, help them be empathetic, help them be open. And yeah, I would never think that I would be coaching people in, in empathy, being trying to, teach them how to be more empathetic and getting pushback that they shouldn't be empathetic. I've never experienced that from any, any other time of my life or, or, or group of people, you know, it's like, it's so counterintuitive to me and I, I just don't know how to overcome that. And that's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, like, yeah, maybe it, it could be regional. I don't know. Um, but you're, I'm assuming you're talking about like. It's definitely, definitely generational. Yeah. I mean, it's the, these kind of younger kids. They're in their, you know, maybe 18 to 25, I would say now. Um, what do they, what did they, is it like, look, it's an old white male. He's privileged and yep. is that. Kind of, oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's a pig, you know. Uh, or, you know, I mean, it could be all, all different things, but it's, it's a lot of it's that, um, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's that people are not are taught to not see people anymore they're taught to see a whole group uh, one person is representative of a group of people so the individual there's no longer an individualism right that person can't be good because that person is this group and that group is not good so yeah social media has uh really fanned those flames a lot because it's why so I, I mean, honestly, it's part of the one of the many reasons I got rid of my iPhone and got a got a flip phone because I I can't stand like all this. Everybody lives on these screens now, and it's like it's really easy to just get angry at somebody and type something because it's yeah. so excited. Like, but but when you're forced to have a conversation, you're almost forced to empathize because you start to see like, oh, well, I didn't think about the fact that that person may have had this experience or may look at it right. I would have assumed that that person was a real jerk because he or she is, oh, but they're really not. They're actually a good person. Um, right. But you, you you can't, that social media is the <coughs> opposite. And I said earlier, people are, we're wired to be like tribal. And so that's, you know, it's like dividing us into all these little like. Couldn't be more tribal. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And uh yeah, there's something weird going on. There really is. It's uh, a and odd. then you throw you throw on top of it the fact that now they're in a, a service, you know, they're serving this person. So, you know, it kind of reinforces this side. And I think a lot of it comes from insecurity about themselves too, about their place in the world, about their status. You know, I think by carving up all these groups, you kind of diminish yourself somewhat because you have to put yourself into a group. And so you're, you know, you're constantly comparing yourself to the group. And am I, am I strong enough? Am I as brave as this group? You know, uh, do I have the same character that they are portraying? Right. And it's, it's a false sense of character because like you said, it's very easy to go be a big, badass on social media and be really tough and all this stuff but are you going to do that in person face to face you know and and so now you're you're constantly trying to measure yourself up to a false standard and and so that builds all this insecurity so then you get you're you're really insecure and then this kind of all other group comes in the other tribe comes in that you already don't like and now you, your insecure self has to go up and be a, of service to them. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at it as, you know, here's an opportunity to show them how good my group is and that my group can take care of them and can look past it all. And, you know, I'm just going to show you a great time. That's, that's what a secure person would do. You know, an insecure person just comes across with anger and with resentment and, you know, it's a it's a tricky component of the service industry because really I've, I think I, I've never really liked the term service industry. I, I think we are doing a service, but we're, we're really more it's the hospitality business. You know, we're like the, the Ritz Carlton says, you know, it's ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. I think everybody's on an equal footing. I don't yeah. I don't feel like one side serving the other side. Um, that kind of, to me, gives me a sense of different tiers of 
classes and things like that, which I don't, I don't like, but I've always felt like if, if you're confident, then you, the people that are the most self-confident give the best service because they don't have to, they're not trying to, they're just being themselves because they know that, that, that to be yourself is enough. Yeah. You know, and you're just, this is a peer of mine where I'm providing you with this great experience. I have the knowledge and the resources to provide you with a great time. Um, So, I mean, that's, that's definitely part of the struggle of the training of the up and coming generation of staff is how do we break down those, those walls, those barriers, how do we, how do we build up self-confidence and, um, and, and teach you that it's, it's not only good and self-fulfilling, but it's critical to our society to empathize and, and look past division and find common ground. Mm -hmm. I think. I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. And I've, I've always thought about it. It bothers me that um, you see more and more of the sort of like what I would call victim, the victimhood mentality, Yeah, which I think is taking away somebody's self-agency. And I think that's a very bad thing to do. Um, I like the way that you're, you're talking about this, the self-confidence part of that. And that's really, that's, I mean, I think you nailed it. And that's a really big thing. Um, it's tough, man. Well, you know, I've said this, Many times, uh, the more of you and your peers that I talk to over all these years now, the more I'm convinced, like, I I have so much respect for what y'all do. I could not do it because there's like a thousand things you have to learn to do and do well. Like, it's amazing. And there's just, you know, one more thing. But what I find about restaurant owners more than probably really any other type of of entrepreneur is um, you're your amazing ability to absorb change, process it and figure out a way to iterate and navigate through it and come out stronger and better. And I, I, I it's just, um, it's probably harder now more so, you know, you're having to deal with that more so more than ever, but, um, but you're a really resilient group of people, Drew. Uh, and, you know, you're like the, uh, and it's, it's a weird, it's probably a weird analogy and I never thought of it till just now, but it's like, you know, like you don't really think much about firefighters until you yeah, have a fire and you're like, God, they're in prison. Thank goodness for them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are like some cultural firefighters now that like people are maybe going to start realizing how much we, we need what you provide. And that, that will hopefully be with the next generation of potential employees because it, it is a really really important part of our society that we uh we have these gathering places to to break down a lot of those that's right barriers and walls and things that we create on these screens that you know because it's like if you look if you look at social media i try not to um but you do every now and then it's like like the world the, what it seems like there it seems like this world is a total crap show. Like everything's right. horrible, but it's like that. It's not though. Cause then when you don't have any, for two weeks, I had like no connection and it, 
wherever you go in the country, it's like the only thing you see is like in certain places, people seem to be more wearing masks, but like most people are. That's right. And nice and hospitable. And they're not like, you would think people are just running around yelling and screaming. They're only doing it on there. They're just not doing that in real life. And maybe it's because they, maybe they're holding it in. Like you said, like staff might be And but I, I just got a sense that like most people in most places are, you listen to conversations, you spend a week on the road, stopping in places. I listen, you know, I'm by myself. I'm like, most people are, they're just like everybody else. They're just, you know, they got their own issues and they're dealing with like whatever their family stuff is or whatever, but they're, they're pretty nice people. I mean, most people oh, yeah. are generally good people. Um, no, I think it'd be a great experiment or show to do to kind of, you know, follow someone clicking around on social media for an hour. And then kind of talk to them about their mood and their framework or their their view of the world and then have them turn that off and then go down to the local bar or the local restaurant or whatever for an hour and then get, you know, and then interview them again afterwards. And if you did that enough, you would definitely see that, you know, social media can be incredibly depressing and and harmful to your psyche, you know. Uh, we're realizing that more and more. And, the, and I, I totally agree with you, man. It, it is, it is amazing um, what it can do when it can do, you know, and you're just, you're not even conscious of it, but like the, those things are like technology, like anything, it's a tool that can be used for good or for bad. I mean, I look at it and I'm like, God, I mean, think about this. Like you got this phone now and it's like how things are used because of human nature versus how they, they could be used. I mean, you could like, what couldn't you learn on your phone? Like, like, right now, like what, what could you not learn if you really wanted to, there's almost nothing you couldn't learn. I mean, you want to learn like advanced nuclear physics. Okay. I bet you, you could, but yeah, but that's, you know, and I mean, I look at it like, I mean, I got kids that are getting ready to start going to college. I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to go, if we're going to go to college, like, what are we going to get out of it? Because I mean, if, if there's, you can learn what you want right now, if you're so motivated, but, but nobody uses right. it for that. They use it for just the lowest common denominator. Um, but, is- I, but I also think that it's, you can learn whatever you want, but it's very difficult to discern the truth. It's very well, difficult to, to, you know, a lot of people, I think it's human nature that a lot of people want people to agree with them. And so they tend to watch things that they agree with. That's right. True. And so I think the importance of college and school, if nothing else, I mean, there's lots of reasons it's important, but is to help you understand your sources, understand your bias, understand, you know, how to kind of get a 360 degree view of an issue and then even then understand that maybe that's not the perfect truth that's just your truth as you know it um you know i mean there's obviously there's like one plus one is two yes that's clear right that you know when we're talking about a lot of other things other you know you can go learn all kinds of science on uh on on the web and stuff but when you're talking about social sciences or you know other topics i'm sure that you can find six different sides of every story that's um totally agree with that totally you know and that. learning how to research learning how to what you have 
all the information at your fingertips, but do you know how to filter it and understand what is what is an outright lie, what is a bias, what is, you know, getting closer to the truth? Maybe that's a hundred percent. Is this a hundred percent true? What kind of metrics can you apply to this to to find out how truthful it is? You know? I hope that that's still, that is what college is for. I hope that that is continues on yeah. the majority to be the case uh, versus um, like, I'll, you know, we, we, uh, we talk like we want our kids to learn how to think, not what to think. Right. right. Like that's, that's critical. And, and we're even seeing this a little bit every now and then in school now, like, you know, it's more of the like, well, you need to think this way or you, you, you probably shouldn't, you know, that's, that's, that's no good. Like, no, you've got to, you know, push, like if you're thinking wrong, good, then, then help somebody learn that versus, you know, kind of making them feel like, well, maybe I should just get along and go along and, you know, so I, I'm hearing more of that with, that's why like, as a, and I know we're getting off, but I mean, like as a, parent who's you know got a senior in high school who's going to be going to college the more i hear about you know um you need to think this way or you feel intimidated or like that's not okay um yeah i mean it's supposed to be there's supposed to be debate there's supposed to be you know uh people thinking from all different angles thinking from all different sides because that's how you really hash out a project. I mean, if you talk to all the really successful people of the world, you know, they don't hire themselves. They hire their opposite. They hire people that are going to yes. push back. They yeah. hire people that are going to tell them no, yep. they, you know, because you need that in any kind of critical thinking that's so important. And so to, try and say that there, you shouldn't have a different opinion than me uh, is terrible. And I think that's a, it's a really dangerous um, mindset. And, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that social media and, and just the web in general kind of helps play into that because you want to belong to this group. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hire people that are the complete opposite of me. And uh, I, I mean, almost to a point where I get so frustrated with it that I have to like walk out of the room because people are just like, that'll never work. You can't do that. You, you know, it won't work because of this, 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 and this. And then, but that fuels me and I'm like, oh, it won't work. Okay, here we go. I'm going to show you how I can make this work you know, or they're right. And I'm, you know, I mean, probably three out of every 10 ideas I have are good ideas. And, you know, they saved me those seven times when I would just do something really stupid and it would either cost me in, you know, money or time or reputation or whatever. Um, And so if you don't have those people around you, you know, man, that's a, that's a scary place to be. Yeah. Having yes people, yes people lead to bad things. Absolutely, absolutely. It certainly and it limits you so much. Um, 
Well, look, dude, wow, what a conversation. I always enjoy talking to you, Drew, man. I really appreciate this a lot. I like it, too. It's fun. Appreciate what you do. Uh, I hope that, um, I hope that, you know, that this thing passes through it hopefully fairly quickly. I mean, I really want to get back on the road. I miss seeing, you know, a lot of folks. It was so nice to take that trip, um, get to meet folks. I always enjoy hanging out with y'all. So I will, uh, luckily you're only a couple hours away. So hopefully this fall, man, I'll get up there. And That'd be great. We'll hang out and, um, spend some time together. But in the meantime, I really appreciate you, uh, doing this a lot, man. I, Anytime. Uh, thoughtful conversation. I always enjoy it quite a bit. You should uh, check out the station's uh, um, show schedule. You can you can stop down for one of our shows. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we're having um, we're actually this this fall uh, instead of doing a bunch spending a bunch of money on print advertising or any kind of advertising, really, we're just throwing money at bands and bringing in the best bands we can and throwing free shows. Um, nice. You know, and just trying to build word of mouth and create a create a space where people feel like they can stop in anytime and see a good band and not have to, you know, it doesn't have to be a big deal. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. When are your shows? Are they a specific night every week, or is it very right, right now? They're Fridays and Saturdays. Some some sometimes they're both. Usually they're both. Sometimes they're one or the other. Um, and then. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're trying to bring back some of the more um, weekly standard events like our open mic, our karaoke. Um, those will be during the week, but uh, right now we're just doing the shows. Yeah. Nice. It's been fun. It's fun to see live music again. That's another thing that's been missing. <laughs> it's a big piece of my life that's been missing. You know, I love it. So. Big time. Yeah, we got, I'm, I'm hopeful. We've got some, a couple of things coming up. Uh, my daughter's going to see, um, I'm taking her down to Atlanta. She and some friends are going to go see Harry Styles. That's on the schedule. My son and I got a Foo Fighters show also in Atlanta. I'm hoping that works out. Uh, Stevie Nicks pulled out. Like we have some friends, their daughter's a big Stevie Nicks fan. Stevie Nicks pulled out because of COVID uh, or not because she has it, but just the concerns yeah. or whatever. And so they, Got, they got the Foo Fighters in there, so. Oh, that's in Atlanta. What's that? That's in Atlanta. Yeah, it's in Atlanta in like yeah. October. So I'm hopeful by, by then everything's everything's good. I'm we're crossing our fingers that these things don't all start getting canceled again. Um, yeah. So. Oh, yeah, like I said, I think it just has to start to be normalized. I think people just have to realize that it's never going away. So you can either live your life with it or you can live a pretty miserable life without it or trying to keep it out you know do you like any country music oh yeah i love country music like johnny cash mm -hmm. i went to the uh we went to, that was the one place i made my family go to the uh we went to the johnny oh cash yeah in nashville and i was like look y'all it's probably the only time i'm ever gonna go to the johnny cash museum so that's awesome we're gonna stay here a while so <laughs> I was like, you guys just, I'm, I'm going to be here a while. So just, just, but they were, they were great. They were patient, but I, I love Johnny Cash. Um, no, that's funny. That was funny. Where, where is it? Is it in Tennessee? Right in the heart of Nashville, man. Right yeah. off Broadway, just right there. I mean, just, it was awesome. It was so cool. Just, just incredible. Um, we'd never been in Nashville. I don't know if we'll get back, you know, anytime. So we enjoyed that. That was fun. 
Do you have an RV? Do you rent one? Yeah. No. Is that is that fun? Uh it well, you have to to me it's kind of like camping. Like you're either gonna be somebody who embraces it and you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna be in my comfortable bed and all that, blah, blah, and, but I love it. Or like my wife was like, get me out of this thing. Get me a hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would recommend like we did it. Uh, we have some friends that have flown out, you know, mm-hmm. past, rented the RV there, gone around the national parks. And I think that's a pretty popular way to do it. Um, we had always talked about just taking an RV trip, you know, around the country or across or whatever. So we, that was kind of in our back of our mind. So we rented one here, we drove it out there. Uh, you know, we were there a few days and then they, they were just ready. So you drag um, a car behind you. No. And I would recommend that if you have a, um, if you have a motor home, you know, with the way I would do it is either take a car or just take one, you know, that you can tow because like we got to Nashville the first night, we're like 20 minutes from downtown. Uh, so we get the next morning, like, well, we want to go into Nashville. Well, I'm not driving this thing into Nashville. Right or some RV park. So we, we, we Ubered it. Yeah. And, um, that, that gets kind of, you know, it just gets a little inconvenient. So, yeah. But other than that, man, it was great. I mean, I'd never been to an RV park. There's all these, I mean, if you plan well, you get a good, good RV park, man, you're probably going to have some like, depending on where you are, like really good scenery. I mean, that it's actually a business that I've been looking into is, um, RV recreation parks where people, you know, there's all different levels of camping from, you can do glamping, you can do your regular camping, you can have your RV stuff, but then there's like a rock wall for climbing. There's, you know, maybe a stream or river that you're near, or there's, uh, you might have a resident chef who's giving cooking classes or something or cooking food for you, showing you how to do campfire food. Uh, And so you buy these, plots and they can be away they have to be away from everything right so it's kind of undesirable real estate maybe you get for you know relatively cheap put a little bit of money into it and then just i mean you don't really you you got one person to staff it right i think i think that there's definitely something there because most of these things have been there a while and rv parks were basically for retirees by and large. And, and there's still a lot of them there, but, um, but it has become such a popular thing now. I mean, it, right. there's so, I mean, I've got six, eight, 10 friends that it's a nostalgia thing to take your family in the, in the RV and you bond together on your trip through the Rockies. Right. And, uh, yeah. there's, I think a lot more people are wanting to do that now. And, uh, I, I've got a bunch of friends that are caught, you know, like, How'd it go to, to, you know, I mean, I've put several in touch with this dude I rented this thing from. And by the way, to that point, he's a restaurant owner here in Waxhaw. He bought this thing earlier this year. He's got it rented out for like, you know, the next six months still. Like, you know. So he just has one and he just rents it out. Yeah, that's smart. He rents it out. People take it up to, you know, college football games. He's got a bunch of people taking them up to, you know, places for football games this fall he's got like we were the first ones that have taken it on an extended journey he's got people that will just take their family to a which is what i would recommend by the way if you were to do it with a family just kind of put your toe in the water 
just rent one for a weekend, go to an RV park somewhere within an hour or two and just to see what it's like to deal with just, Hey, we got five of us and we all need to shower and there's, you know, like, and then we got to drink like all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so the mechanics of the whole thing and like, is, are, can people sleep on it? Like, or, you know, like, cause you got a generator running. Well, when the generator is running, is that too loud for one of your family members or is right. it a little rattling a little bit while it, like, is that going to keep somebody, you know, all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. We learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're in like, <laughs> so I'd recommend yeah. that, but it is a good, there's a lot of demand for those things right now. And you can't even like, the idea of like going out there and going like Yellowstone and all that, dude, this you got to book that like a year in advance now. At least, yeah. They're they're flat out sold out. So same thing. I, I went to Puerto Rico earlier, uh, this, well, two or three months ago, uh, and they have the longest zip line in the world. And we tried to book it six months out, and they were like, "Yeah, right." You know, I guess Jimmy Fallon went on it. And it just, after that, it was booked for like two years solid every day. The longest zip line in the world. How long? It's four miles. (laughs) Oh, God. Are you serious? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you go right over the jungle canopy and you're flying. It looks amazing. I'm going going back to do it for sure. Because you can fly direct from Raleigh. It's It's an easy flight. It's like cheap, fast. And you don't need a passport. It's a U.S. territory. So longest zip, boy, that's committed. Once you go <laughs> four miles, <Yeah. laughs> they have a smaller one you can kind of warm up on. <laughs> can you imagine? That's sad. it's. Like, I think you're like you're on it for like twenty minutes. Man, yeah. that's cool. Well, look, man, I'm gonna roll. I will check yeah. out. We'll try to come get up there, man. Hang out with you. Go to a show. Cool. I, actually, that's a great idea. Um, I got some buddies up there that would uh, enjoy that too. So we'll try to make that happen as well. Yeah. Bring them out. It'd be great. Right, Appreciate it as always, man. Thanks, Will. Take care, Thanks. man. All right. Later. Yeah.